passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome in to another Baseball America Top 10 Prospects podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We've got another great show for you today. We're here to break down the Colorado Rockies and their farm system. And to do that, I am joined by my friend and colleague, Jeff Ponce. Jeff, first and foremost, Happy New Year to you. You as well. Uh, first prospect podcast for me of 2024. Second podcast, though, because I didn't do a fantasy podcast earlier this week. But excited to jump into this and we slog through the top 10s and head to top 30 season, which is coming very shortly. Now that the handbook's been turned in and we're rested and, and ready to, you know, ready to go in 2024. Yeah, definitely that that break after the handbook goes to press is much needed, but then we dive right in and all of a sudden it's, hey, college season starts in a month and then pitchers and catchers report in about six weeks and then the major league season starts. We're already talking about our major league preview issue. So baseball never stops, but uh, that's okay by us. It's, uh, we went into the right profession for that, to say the least. Hmm. Jeff, looking at the Rockies, there's no real way to sugarcoat it. They're in a little bit of a rough spot. Last year, they went 59 and 103, the worst record in franchise history, which is saying something when you look at the history of this organization. There have been some really bad years. And you look at where they've struggled. It's no secret developing pitching is very, very difficult in Colorado. And it was a really rough year on the pitching side. Herman Marquez had Tommy John surgery. Antonio Sensatella had Tommy John surgery. And their top three pitching prospects entering the year. Gabriel Hughes, Jackson Cox, Jordi Vargas, they all had Tommy John surgery. So you look at what happened on the field in the major leagues, and it certainly was really, really, really difficult in a lot of ways. But then you look at, okay, what do they need to get better? And most of their best pitchers in both the majors and minors ended up having major surgeries during the year that will knock them out, not just for the rest of 2023, but most of them are going to miss most of 2024 as well. How do you assess the state of this organization right now? Because I, I think you see talents on an individual level. Mm -hmm. um, we saw Nolan Jones come up, have a really good rookie year last year. But it's hard to see all the pieces fitting into place right now for this team to compete in an NOS that includes the Dodgers as well as the defending National League champion Diamondbacks. Yeah. And there's a lot of layers to this. And I know we've spoke a lot about 
the Rockies over the years. It's a West Coast team, someone that you're somewhat close with. And I've obviously covered him for a couple of years here. And, you know, get a, I have the one East Coast affiliate that's within an hour or so from my house. So I do see a fair amount of their prospects. And I think you hit the nail on the head. There is individual talent in this organization, whether it be at the major league level, the upper minors, and even the, the lower minors. They've done a good job, I think, of identifying talent. There's talented players that have been brought in, whether that's from the draft, whether that's from you know the international market, even some trades, like you said, with Nolan Jones. Um, so there are some things in terms of a young core to be excited about. I think where the Rockies deserve criticism is they've never really, especially when they had players they could they could move for you know good prospects, good players, they didn't make those deals. And then on top of it, they had this opportunity when tanking was a thing and then you could really optimize your chances of rebuilding during that period. Now with the draft lottery and some of these other things, there's, you know, there's a little bit more restrictiveness in terms of how you can do that. So they're in a trickier spot and they might've had a window to rebuild the last few years and sort of didn't, you know, um, take the bulls by the horn and, and, and sort of lean into that. They've always sort of struggled, I feel like, if you look at just how the organization's been run, to balance reality versus what's best for the long-term health of the organization. They've always tried to be competitive, which I think, you know, on some level is is very commendable. Um, On the other side of things, it's left them in a point where they haven't really optimized a lot of the assets they did bring up to the major leagues. Because on the position side, they have a long history of developing pretty good players internally. And I, and I think that gets sort of thrown out with the bathwater when people talk about this organization and talk about the Rockies and laugh and all that sort of things. There are some things that have, have been pretty good. The scouting, I think some of the player development on the, on the, uh, on the hitting side has been good. They've never really cracked the code in terms of what type of pitchers and, and what the strategy is you know, for developing pitchers that are eventually going to have to pitch in elevation. So there's a lot of questions that come into it. And I don't know with their home park and all those factors, if there is a good answer for the pitching, Um, but there is a way to get back to competitiveness here. And I do think they have a nice young core. It's just a matter of supplementing that in the next, you know, couple of years where it's the international market of the draft and developing some of these guys. And as you said, they need some of these pitching prospects to hit and they have drafted a lot of pitchers that are outside of this top 10 scattered throughout the top 30. And then in that sort of 31 to 40 range, they have, you know, put a lot of draft capital in recent years and drafting interesting college pitchers. Um, So it has been a bit of a departure in that, in that regard. Yeah. And I do think we have seen at times the Rockies have been able to field a a pitching staff that is able to at least help them be competitive. Mm -hmm. You go back to that 2007 world series team, you know, Ubaldo Jimenez, Jeff Francis, Aaron Cook, those guys were all homegrown and, and they were good enough to help get them there. Even though they all had ERAs over four, you know, in Colorado, that's that's not bad. You go back to when they made the postseason back-to-back years, 2017, 2018, they had almost an entirely homegrown rotation. It was Kyle mm-hmm. Freeland, it was John Gray, it was Antonio Senzatella, Herman Marquez, who they acquired in A-ball and for all intents and purposes developed themselves. So we have seen them have success in spurts. But it's been very, very hard to maintain that. And I think really, for me, the organization, things really, really took a turn with that Nolan Arenado trade. Because you look back again, they made the postseason back-to-back years, 2017, 2018. Had down year in 2019. 2020 was a shortened season. It's hard to dive too much into that and make summary judgments. But you know, the Nolan Arenado trade was just um, 
really, really butchered on so many levels. And mm-hmm. it was really misguided. The return they got the moment they got it was nowhere near enough. And we saw the general manager resign shortly after. They've never really recovered from that. That was just a, a horrendous move that set the franchise back years. And I think that that has overshadowed. You talk about they've done a good job for the most part in drafting and player development. They certainly have their misses, the Riley Pines of the world. There was a figure stretch there where they were drafting a lot of college relievers and, and corner bats, and, and that didn't go well somewhat predictably. But you look kind of at the 30,000-foot view over the last 10, 15 years or so. They've done a nice job in the draft, and they've had some good international signings as well. I think where the issues have come up is the decisions at the major league level in terms of some of the extensions they've given out. The Nolan Arenado trade was just a disaster. The Chris Bryant signing has not worked out well. It didn't make sense to trade Nolan Arenado and then give Chris Bryant a bunch of money. It, it was There's been some bad decision-making at the highest level, which is ultimately what matters. You can draft and develop well, but sure. if you give the talent away or don't make the pieces fit, it's not going to mean anything. So hmm. I think that's where... We need to see some improvement. Again, Bill Schmidt, the longtime scouting director, has taken over. It's only been a couple of years, so you want to give it time. But I think in terms of cracking the pitching code, before we dive into individual players, I want to talk to you about that. What, from your reporting, is missing? Specifically in talking to evaluators outside the organization, are the guys they're drafting maybe not as good as hoped? Is it a situation where the Rockies are doing something that is not helping these guys get better? Um, Again, we've talked about the spate of injuries. How do you assess the pitching infrastructure in the organization right now? Because I think in a lot of ways, that's going to be the key to helping the Rockies get back, particularly when you look at how bad their pitching staff was last year and how many guys they were thrown out there that really, frankly, should not have been starting games in the major leagues. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of it is who they've targeted in the draft and, you know, as we often see in baseball, because it's not an overnight sport, it's not like the NFL, you can draft a, a linebacker and then, you know, a guard and all of a sudden both those guys are starters for you for five or six years. That doesn't really happen. It takes that, especially with pitching. And, and you've looked at this, whether it's, you know, college pitching, you're looking maybe three or four years before someone really establishes themselves. And then the high school side, it's like six or seven. So a lot of it comes down to who you're targeting. And of course, you know, how they develop. I think there has been a departure in talking to analysts and scouts, um, scouting directors around the time of the draft, even about the Rockies draft. And I think a lot of people were surprised at the quality that they actually acquired. Chase Dolander, you know, fell to them at nine. Um, I know he did not have a great season sort of departing Tennessee, but entering the draft season last year, at this time last year, he was the number one player in the board you know, top three player on the board, I guess, behind Cruz. Um, Sean Sullivan's a really interesting player. Um, Interesting fastball shape. It looks like they're going after guys with like different release trait characteristics. uh, Isaiah Copay out of Ohio State is another guy that falls into that category. Um, And some of the relievers that they've started to target. And I will say that they do have stuff out of their bullpens the last couple of years. I've started to notice that a lot of guys that are throwing hard besides just Riley Pint that are throwing 96, 97 miles an hour with a good breaking ball. Um, And they've seen some of those guys get to the major leagues and are on the 40 man roster. Um, Seth Halverson is another one that they drafted this year that I think could be pretty good. And it was similar last year. They, they drafted interesting players and, and they went after pitching high and they tried to 
um, acquire guys with more talent than players that they've gone after in the past, where I think if you go back and I'm not going to just name names, but you go back and you can look at some of their drafts in 18, 17, 16, there were a lot of square pegs that they were sort of trying to fit in. And, you know, though Hughes and Cox are top two pitchers from 2022 got injured, Carson Palmquist has been a pretty big win for them. He's a guy that ranks well inside the top 30. Michael Prosecchi is another guy that they drafted in 2022 out of Louisville, who was a, a reliever who's uh, they've given a chance to start and has flourished. Uh, he's still incredibly fastball heavy. Zach Agnos is a guy who is a two-way player at East Carolina um, with big stuff out of the pen that they're starting to develop as a, as a, a reliever. So they've started to go after better quality pitchers and guys that I think other organizations are like, I would have drafted that guy where if you go back a few years, you can sort of see the string of players that are drafted around some of their, their, their pitching picks. And then the guys that they, that they selected ultimately. So I think a big part of it is that I can't, I was told that some things have changed in their evaluation process and their player development internally. Um, They didn't get into tons of specifics as to whether that's tech or just a, you know, a, a shift in coaching philosophy, but there's definitely been some things different about their pitching. I'll say in terms of who they're targeting is some of the stuff that I'm seeing, um, you know, at the double A level over the last couple of years. Yeah. And I've seen their affiliates out here in the California league for a few years. And, and when you see the players come through, it's very noticeable. There's a lot of talent there. And there are some teams or organizations where you hear about guys, they show up and pretty quickly you realize it's just not there, you know, mm-hmm. whether it was, you know, development went sideways, a bad pick, different reasons. The Rockies affiliates really dating back to when they were, you know, Modesto and Lancaster, now with Fresno, there's always been talent there. You mm-hmm. see these guys and they can play. And I think very clearly there is an ability to scout in this organization. And you're right. I think a lot of the criticisms aimed at the Rockies missed that mark. But again, it's about translating that into major league wins. And that's something they have struggled to do. And it's gotten progressively worse the last few years. Jeff, diving into this farm system, again, we've talked about the pitchers and some of the struggles there, but there is a pretty good track record of position player development. Emil Amador is the number one prospect in the system. He's someone you've liked a lot. I saw him in Fresno, I guess it would have been 2022 now, so two years ago. It's weird to think that 2022 is two years ago. And there's certainly talent there. Um, Had some things to work on, but you saw the talent. And he really took a jump last year, established himself as really a top 50 prospect in all of baseball. I know you're even higher and think he's a top 20 type prospect in all of baseball. What progress did he make last year? and, And how much separation was there between him and the other prospects in this top 10? Yeah, I think he's the clear one. Um, this is one of those organizations where the conversation with scouts uh, and analysts kind of starts at two. <laughs> Who do you like there? Because there's, as we get into it, there are a lot of guys that it's kind of a pick at that point. I think one, though, regardless of who you're talking to, it's pretty clear that it's Amador. It's a really polished hit tool. And I think that's the big thing that I buy into. There's, um, he's a switch hitter that makes consistent contact both sides of the plate. It's more of a line drive, you know, gap to gap kind of a guy. He definitely saw a little bit of, of a power surge, you know, benefiting from his home park in Spokane and some of the other parks in the Northwest League. I do think, though, if you, you go back to even his time on the complex, this is a guy that's always hit the ball pretty hard for the archetype that he is. Um, for that sort of, you know, contact guy, he has approach, which is a little bit different. He's not a free swinger. He's not super aggressive trying to get his bat in the ball because he has that barrel control ability. Um, He's not super twitchy. You know, 
probably enough runability. He's very uh, instinctual on the bases that maybe he'll still 15 to 20 bags. He's not a super burner, probably not a shortstop. He's probably a solid average regular defensive second baseman every day. But I think, you know, this is a guy that could be a table setter in a very classic way that gets on base can use him as a two hitter too. He's going to move runners along and he's going to use uh, the entire field there at Coors, which is a big benefit to a hitter like this. You get that sort of batting average on balls and play bump. Um, I think Amador is just a very polished hitter. You talk about some of the best hit tools in the minor leagues. And I think he's within that conversation and it's real. It's, it's a guy that does hit the ball fairly hard and he knows what he is. He's not trying to sell out for power. He's not going to change his swing. We're not going to get a, a Louis Urias sort of, transformation transformation with a guy like this straight in- straight into the heart with that one that yeah. one that, that one still hurts yeah and the approach and the on-base ability too like a lot of guys like this don't necessarily have that and he has that in a real way that it's a very tough out um so i think i think he's a very good player you know do i think he's going to be you know a, an all-star every year no i think he might have some all-star level seasons especially playing there at Coors. um but a very rocky style player you know Shows up every day at the ballpark, play, very professional, plays hard every day, high makeup type of guy. Um, and I think he's going to slot into that middle infield within the next year or two with uh, Ezekiel Tovar and be a very interesting uh, double play combination. Yeah, and again, one of the things, if you look at when the Rockets have been successful, they've had a pretty good up-the-middle duo. You look at DJ LeMahieu and uh, Trevor Story, you go back to the Troy Tulowitzki days, I think, especially in that park, when you have you know a good alignment up the middle that can help your pitchers out that's really important and that certainly would be a nice place to start again tovar showed some good showed some bad last year but there's certainly things to work with you have amador can potentially help we saw tovar kind of speed up the minors a little bit amador only really had a partial season last year he had some injuries played 69 games most of which were at high spokane what is his timeline? Because again, this is still, he's very young. He's 20 years old. Uh, he doesn't turn 21 till April of next year. So young kid who's played 10 games above the class A levels. What's a reasonable development path for him? And, and also what are some of the main things to work on as he moves up here to higher levels? Yeah, I think it's just adding strength um, is a big part of it. Just, you know, consistently adding more power as he, as he matures, um, the defensive side of things as well. I don't think he's going to be a shortstop. They might give him, give him some time at, at second base, depending upon, you know, where they assign Julio Carreras. He could be in AAA for that matter. So he could be a guy that ends up, you know, playing some shortstop next year. We'll see how that goes. I would assume it's going to be how he hits at Hartford. That's kind of been the, the litmus test for a lot of their prospects. The guys that go to Hartford and hit, whether it's Tovar, um, you know, et cetera, they kind of go up to, or, you know, Hunter Goodman last year, they go up to Albuquerque. And when you're playing in Albuquerque, the numbers are going to be good. You get to play in like the best park in the PCL on top. So it seems like guys have gone there and then pretty quickly gotten to the major leagues if there's a need. So I, I would assume the majority of his next season is spent at Hartford. Maybe it's an August call up and he hits pretty well and then gets a, a cup of coffee in September. And then maybe we're looking at, him having an opportunity to break camp in 2025. They have been aggressive with some of these younger guys. And I do know they speak of him as a person, which is always a big part of our conversations with the Rockies is the makeup side of things. They speak of him in a very similar light to Ezekiel Tovar, who was, you know, a tireless worker, a guy that I think was at the Rockies camp for like a year and a half during the pandemic. and didn't return until after that fall league in 2021 to Venezuela. So he's kind of in line with that sort of a, of a player, 
I think they skipped the DSL with him if I, if I remember correctly and just went to the complex. So, you know, he's, he's, I think he's one of those guys that he could move faster than we even anticipate. Yeah, again, really promising prospect, a clear-cut number one, and and really one of the better prospects in baseball. Again, you talk about a guy who's you know squarely in the top 50. There's an argument for top 25, and um, certainly a nice player to have atop your farm system. All right, Jeff, as you mentioned, there is some talent here beyond just number one. This is not a shallow system by any means. You go down through the top 10, and, and you see talent even beyond the top 10. Mm-hmm. I want to dive into some of the players beyond just uh, Amador here. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll jump in. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. That's why I use Indeed for our hiring at Baseball America. It allows me to do everything on one website. I get quality candidates. I can schedule them. I can interview them. I can screen them. I can send messages to them all within Indeed. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Rockies Top 10 Prospects Podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer alongside Jeff Ponce. All right, Jeff, we talked about Adel Amador, uh, the Rockies' number one prospect before the break. You mentioned that in your conversations with evaluators, both inside and outside the organization. The conversation really started at number two, and it was for a good reason. Again, sometimes we get to the number two prospect, and you have to pick between guys who maybe aren't that good or you're struggling to pick one because there's not a lot of tools there. The Rockies have the opposite. I wouldn't call it a problem. It's a good thing. There's a lot of talented players here that I think you could reasonably slot in as a number two prospect and feel pretty good about it. Chase Dolander, their first round pick out of Tennessee last year, ultimately got the nod there. What kind of pushed him above some of these high performing position players? You look at a Yankee Fernandez, a Jordan Beck, a Sterling mm-hmm. Thompson, all of whom have pedigree themselves as well, have played a little more, have proven themselves. Uh, what put Dolander at the top? I think, um, you know, he's a prospect that the Rockies really haven't had a player that had this sort of talent level and upside from the pitching, from a pitching perspective, probably since John Gray. Um, you know, there is mid-rotation upside here, you know, maybe even number two if things really go well. Um, it, a lot of it is recovering the fastball shape that he lost a little bit. 
in, in 2023 that he did have in 2022. Um, the slider's still good. He has a changeup. Um, he's an athletic pitcher. You know, I, I think it's one of those things where you look at some of the players behind him. They all have their warts as well. He hadn't done anything to sort of move him off of that draft grade. And I'm familiar enough with the pitcher having, you know, written about him a little bit heading into that draft season as well that, and, and watched him over the last couple of years that it was, it was pretty clear there was no reason to move him off. Talking to scouts outside and, in, you know, and, and, uh, and internally with the organization, not a lot of people have necessarily seen him against all these players. So you kind of have to go off of a lot of that, that those amateur looks for these pitchers that don't, that don't throw. Um, but there's no concerns. I think he's the type of guy that had enough of a workload where it's the prudent thing to do to shut him down. So, you know, there was some conversation uh, with Fernandez or Beck uh, at two. Um, but ultimately, I, I went with Dolander because, like I said, he hasn't done anything at this point to sort of move him off of what his draft grade was. Yeah, again, there were times where he was considered a potential top five pick in the draft. He didn't quite have the season hope for, but you still saw flashes. And, and I think it'll be interesting to see how the Rockies develop him, what they're able to do with him. Again, we've talked about some of their struggles developing pitching prospects, how many guys they've had a hard time keeping healthy. So I think this is going to be a, a really, really interesting development path, seeing if he can be the guy that can break through and, and give him that homegrown starter. Again, you mentioned John Gray, but even if he gets to Kyle Freeland's level when Kyle Freeland yeah. was performing well, if he can get to Antonio Sensatello's level when he was performing well, that's a valuable pitcher and, and someone the Rockies certainly need. Jeff, the three hitters that checked in behind him, Jordan Beck, Yankeel Fernandez, and Sterling Thompson, all guys who had pedigree. Fernandez was a big money signing out of Cuba. Beck and Thompson were high draft picks. All of them put up really, really good numbers at high Spokane last year, which is a very hitter-friendly ballpark. And all of them struggled when they got to AA Hartford. Again, small sample sizes for some of them, so... You don't want to go too crazy about it. Fernandez in particular, though, had a really tough time once he got up there. Thompson lit the world on fire in Spokane, fell back to earth a little bit. Mm. What is the evaluation of these three players as hitters? Because I think, again, it's going to come down to what's real and what isn't. Again, when you're starting in Fresno and then going up to Spokane, it can be hard to get a gauge on, okay, how much this is real, how much of this is the environment. They all got to Hartford and struggled, which could be a red flag. But again, there's also normal adjustments that come with moving up to double A. What is the outlook on these three hitters? What do they project to be? Sure. Um, and when you talk about, you know, I think that the first two guys, uh, Fernandez and Beck, they both sort of share that characteristic where their carrying tool is power. Um, sort of how they get to that and the type of hitter that they are in terms of what you'll observe in an in bat-to-at-bat basis. Fernandez has bat-to-ball skills that are unique and better than Bex. Um, he can do things, get fooled, and make adjustments. He just has special hands, and he's incredibly strong. Some get fooled in a breaking ball, one of his first games in Hartford, and you know, sort of adjusts, stays back on it, and then powered the ball almost out of the stadium. That if you've been to Hartford, they have these signs that are on top of the stadium. The only guys I've ever seen hit those or put them over there are Vlad Guerrero Jr. and Raphael Devers when they were playing at Hartford. Um, so the power is immense. I mean, it's 70 juice. Um, he likes to swing. There isn't too many pitches that Yankeel doesn't try to hit. That's a big problem. He's also 20 years old. So I think there's some of that where he's he just turned 21, I believe, two days ago. So 
there's some of that, you know, that you take in stride. It's a Cuban hitter. There's some growing pains. He produced at an, you know, a, a correct, you know, age to level at, at, at high A and then gets to double A, sets the world on fire a little bit early and then sort of got figured out. The other thing is that the level of competition, I've said this on other podcasts in the Eastern League, especially in the pitching side, is very good. A lot of teams with deep bullpens, a lot of guys that have come through that, you know, are headed to the major leagues. So he does see some quality pitching there as well. Eventually got exposed, but he lacks supporting skills on the other side of it, right? He's an okay corner outfielder with a big arm. He kind of fits into that, you know, international player, big power, big arm, not necessarily a lot of refinement on either side of the ball. Beck's more refined. He gets on base. The plate discipline is there. He swings and misses in zone a lot. There's a contact issue there with Beck that dates back to when he was here in the Cape and didn't hit all that well. And then, you know, went to Tennessee Nash and he's pretty much hit everywhere up until Hartford. He can play a bunch of different positions. I saw him play some center field when Yang Keel was in right. Hunter Goodwin was in left. So, he was getting some work in that night. He was getting in his he was getting in his steps. We'll just say in center field, and he played a pretty good center field. He's a good athlete, so you know I do think there's a lot of supporting skills that can get him there. In some ways, he's not dissimilar from the type of player that Nolan Jones is, frankly. Um, so I think there's a reasonable case to put him above Yankio. I think the youth, and I think how special his bat to ball skills are. Once he starts to get a little bit more refinement on his approach, and if that comes. That's ultimately what can push him forward and make him into, you know, um, I'll say a, not a superstar, but a star power hitter, a guy that can hit 30 home runs every year and probably run pretty high batting averages for his player type because of his home park. Sterling um, Thompson is different. Thompson is a polished bat to ball guy. It's good approach. I think if you just see the swing and just see, see him take at bats, he rarely puts a bad swing in a ball. He's a guy that a hitting coach is going to like a lot. You know, your grandpa will like Sterling Thompson's swing. He's limited defensively. They tried him at third. It's not really a good position for him. Tried playing some outfield. He's not great out there either. I think ultimately he's going to end up at second base long-term. And then with Amador and some of these other question marks, it's like, where does this guy all fit in? There's not a ton of power there. He's starting to get into a little bit more. Maybe there's like 50 power upside here with Thompson. It's a really polished uh, hit tool though. And I think that's the driving force with him without a lot of supporting skills. He is a good baseball player. You know, he's not going to hurt you in the field. Um, but he's somewhat limited, especially considering a lot of these Rockies homegrown players are pretty good defenders. They, they have a lot of good defenders that are up at the major league level, whether it's in the outfield, um, you know, or in the infield. And it's the same at the minor league level. They draft a lot of athletes. Yeah, again, I think it's a case where if you can hit, they'll find a spot for you. And this is a Rockies offense that that needs help. So yeah. I'll be interested to see how all three of these guys make adjustments. Again, partial seasons at Double A, they go back there, they have a full off season, they make adjustments, and we'll see what they're able to do. I think with Fernandez in particular, he's a guy that has long had ups and downs, but he's more often than not shown the ability to make adjustments. I remember when he was at Fresno. It was a really, really rough first half of the year, but you saw him in the second half and you saw the talent come out. He'd gotten better. He made the adjustments. And again, I think that's always a good sign, especially from a young hitter, young international hitter, um, just able to kind of find themselves as the year goes on. So I think going back to Hartford this year, seeing what adjustments he's made is going to be one of the subplots of, of really the Rockies minor league season, in my opinion, because 
if he can cut down on how much he's swinging and cut down on the strikeouts, there is impact power there. It's, it's the type of power that, you know, can change games in the middle of the lineup, but he's got to work on his aggressiveness. And, and look, if you're too aggressive, you're going to get eaten alive by big league pitching. That's just the fact mm-hmm. of it. So I, I think it'll be just, again, something to watch moving forward. Jeff, two players who were high draft picks, got off to really good starts in their pro careers, but have slowed down a little bit. Zach Veen and Drew Romo, they're both still in the top 10 of this system, but they've fallen out of the top five. Veen had a difficult year, shortened by injury. Romo was was okay, but um, you know, after a really, really good showing at Fresno, his, his last two seasons after that have been more okay than great. What's the outlook for Veen and Romo right now? Because at one point, these guys looked like top 100 prospects who could help anchor the Rockies' future. Now things appear a little bit cloudier. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Romo is, uh, I think, still has an opportunity to be a solid everyday catcher. Um, the big question mark with him is the bat. And a lot of it is, you know, I think he was a little injured maybe coming into the season. Um, over the first couple of months, he really didn't hit, uh, you know, hit 208, 254, 312 over the first two months. And then hit 288, 351, 521 from June 1st onward. Um Got up to Albuquerque, uh, sort of a late season promotion there. But, you know, the other thing is he struggles to hit left-handed pitching. Um, He's a switch hitter. I think with a lot of these guys, it's something that works when they're amateurs. They try it in the lower minors. And eventually it hits a point where you have to ask, if your production is so good with your left-handed swing, why not just hit lefties (laughs) left on left? Um, Because his numbers this year as a right-handed hitter were 162, 225, 243. When you start to see numbers like that, it really becomes a question to me of like, what's the point of even doing it? How much worse could it be, you know, from the left-hand side where the numbers have actually been pretty good. He's not real impactful. He's never going to hit for a ton of power. But, you know, there's a lot of catchers in the major leagues where if they can hit for a 270 average every year and get on base at a decent clip and hit eighth in your lineup, probably pretty happy with that and i think romo can do that and provide pretty good defense as well that hasn't backed up yeah it's interesting you look at that split as you mentioned he's a switch hitter batting left-handed you take that every day looking last year as a left-handed hitter facing righties hit 279 335 496 i mean 279 with 12 homers and 831 ops and about 90 games that you take that every day it's the right-handed swing is really really dragging him down have the Rockies talked about dropping it? Because it does seem like it's just not helping them. Um, I think it's been discussed. It's not something that as far as I know is in the plans. Um, but I don't know how you couldn't take a step back, even just as the player and, and think to yourself, like I'm getting results with this swing. Maybe it's just better to go all in. There's plenty of left-handed hitters that just hit lefty. <laughs> well, again, I mean, a left-handed hitting catcher um, is certainly valuable. And, and I think exactly. that if he just becomes that, you know, there's a lot of upside there. In terms of Zach Veen, again, it was a really poor showing at Hartford. Hit 209 of the 612 OPS, 46 games, uh, suffered a season-ending injury. What's his outlook right now? He's he still, you know, ranks pretty decently in this top 10. Um, clearly, there's tools there, but mm-hmm. it's been sort of a steady decline. He he came out gangbusters uh, his first year at Fresno. Again, the performance was good. The scouting was great. Everything was good, and it seems like it's just been – kind of some regression each year that's followed. Where is he now? Yeah, I think a lot of it is he entered the season um, more than likely with this injury and tried to play through it. 
Um, if you saw him over the first couple of months, and we see this from time to time with prospects when they're trying to play through an injury where a player looks like a shell of themselves. And I had seen him when he was first promoted to Hartford in 2022. I then saw him in the Arizona Fall League. And you could see glimpses of it. You saw the the instincts and, you know, his ability to sort of read pitchers and just how deep he got into at bats. Um, I think there were always questions about the swing and the impact and, you know, when that would come. Um, it's He's very thin. But what what the impression that I got is that ultimately this is something that they felt like he was playing through something. Ultimately, he was. You know, he ends up having, uh, I believe, had surgery on his, I think it was his left wrist. Left wrist, yeah. So we should probably clarify the injury. It was initially diagnosed as left wrist inflammation. He ultimately had Mm -hmm. surgery to repair a tendon. And look, if your wrist isn't right, it's not easy to hit, to say the least. So I I think that's where I think you almost say, okay, this year you give him a mulligan. He came in, he was trying to hit with a hurt wrist. It's just Mm -hmm. not going to work. Yeah, I don't know if the top 100 prospect upside is necessarily still there. I think maybe we've recalibrated some of our expectations with Veen, but him being a solid everyday regular that has some above average offensive seasons, I think is very much in the realm of possibility. Yeah, again, I, I think just seeing what he looks like, comes back next year healthy, that's going to be what to watch for. I think it's important not to crush a guy over a year where he clearly wasn't healthy. Jeff, this top 10 has talent. You mentioned there are some players who were outside of the top 10 that, again, you can see pass to the major leagues for. Ultimately, how many players were in consideration for the top 10 as you went through the process of you know scouting, reporting, looking at data, everything we do here at Baseball America? Sure. Uh, probably about 13. Um, there were a couple here, uh, interesting players right on the cusp of the top 10 and you know, a Benny Montgomery and a Cole Carrig who are interesting players with a lot of tools. Um, but not necessarily a lot of actualized baseball ability at this point. Um, Carrick maybe a little bit more than Montgomery. Montgomery did make big strides in terms of his approach this year. But Yeah, I wanted to ask, what's the update on him? Because uh, he was a guy we talked about last year, we've talked about for a long time. Eighth overall pick in 2021, really surprised a lot of people. There were some teams who wouldn't have taken him with the 38th overall pick, let alone the eighth yeah. overall pick. Hugely tooled out, really, really raw as a hitter. He did okay at Spokane, but eh, again, you look at the context of that ballpark and how hitter-friendly it is. It, it doesn't look great. He's only 20 years old. What is the update on Benny Montgomery? Really good uh, adjustments in terms of approach. I think he actually had an article about this earlier in the year. He had the, the most dramatic drop in chase swings this year of any player in the minor leagues, which is great to see. Um, the issue is his bat-to-ball skills are still well below average. So, you know, it balances that out and it, it doesn't expose him as much if he's just swinging at strikes, but there is swing and miss here. Um, you know, the, the strikeout rates have never been as bad as they maybe potentially could be. Um, there's a ton of impact. I think defensively, he's another one of these guys. And we saw it at the major league level with Brenton Doyle, who really can't hit at all. Um, he has a ton of value as a defensive player he's a great center fielder he's got a big arm he can play any position out there there is value if he's getting on base and can hit for some power and run it's just a matter of maybe this offseason if he can refine his hit tool to a point that he's kind of like a fringy average contact hitter i think with the with the approach changes and with the power that's underneath everything there 
he could still be a pretty good player. Um, so there are some scouts that would have him inside the top 10. Uh, it just depends how much they've seen like a Kalaz, for example, who was only in the DSL. Um, those that have seen Kalaz would have had him as high as the top five or six. So um, ultimately he ended up at, at number 10 though. You know how it is with some of these DSL guys from year to year. The information yeah. can be great and then they show up and something isn't quite the same. You mentioned Bretton Doyle. That's an interesting comparison point. Is that Benny Montgomery's upside, a, a gold glove center fielder who's one of the worst hitters in the majors and, and wouldn't start for a first division team? I think that's probably his floor. I think he can I think he can be that. You can see that pretty easily without having to squint. Um it's hard to say a floor is an everyday major league center fielder. I think there's a floor here that he's just a minor leaguer. I don't know. I mean, because when you see a guy like Doyle, who is like a, whatever, 45 WRC plus, <laughs> and I've always thought like of the two players that, you know, Montgomery probably has more upside as a hitter is probably a better hitter. Just even looking at, you know, some of the minor league numbers, you know, at age to level. So we'll see. I mean, his defense and his running ability and all that sort of, sort of stuff, his supporting skills are really good. And it can raise the floor of a guy like this quite a bit. Um, but I, I think there's still hope that he could, he could click and hit. He's not that old. Um, and you know, there might be some opportunity. Like I said, if he gets sort of like a fringe average contact hitter, he could be a guy that's up in the majors pretty quick. Then it's just, he falls into that archetype of like exactly what the, uh, the Rockies seem to target in these center field types. All right, Jeff. So we've talked about a lot of these individual talents, but again, the point is to win games in the major leagues, get these guys, the big leagues put together a winning team and contend for world series. What is the timeline here for the Rockies to get back to being, let's just start with a, a winning ball club. They have not had a winning season since 2018. And as we've talked about, it's not even like they've been kind of stable. It's they're getting worse every year. You go back 2021, 74 wins, 2022, 68 wins, 2023, 59 wins. It's been going the wrong direction. How long until this team is, is just even contending for a winning record again? Cause it feels like it's kind of far away. There, it's gonna, it's got to be at least two to three years if we're being optimistic. Um, probably three to four. They need some things to go right. They need some of these pitchers that have come that have now gone down with injuries to come back healthy, pitch well, build up some innings, and then get to the major leagues. They'd have to acquire some pitching in some way, shape, or form. I think from a positional standpoint, the lineup. There's a lot of players here that are at the major league level, close to the major league level that could contribute in the next couple of years. And they could build out a pretty good homegrown lineup if they so choose, which has often been the direction of the Rockies. They have a lot of players here that could fit in. They will be good defensively. Um, there will be some power in that lineup. And, you know, a lot of it, I think, comes down to can Nolan Jones replicate what he did last year? Can Ezekiel Amador, excuse me, Ezekiel Tovar continue to take steps forward offensively? So we know the player that he is defensively and get to a point where he's an above average offensive player and the standout defender that he is. I think that's, that is a big key to it. And then, you know, if, if it's Romo that comes up and eventually is a stabilizing, you know, force behind the plate and they're really strong up the middle, makes your pitching a little bit easier and they have some bats. They do have guys that can hit. It's just who's going to step up and take those places. And are they going to sign, some old veteran to, you know, block that guy for a year, which has often kind of been their mantra. 
Yeah, and I think you talk about the aggressiveness. We saw that in the major leagues last year. They had a lot of really aggressive hitters. You know, El Harris Montero, 111 strikeouts to 15 walks. Ryan McMahon struck out 198 times. Ezekiel Tovar, 166 to 25. Brenton Doyle, 151 to 22. Uh, there's definitely been an aggressiveness issue with some of their, their younger players. Nolan Jones had a really, really good season. You still see 126 strikeouts and, and only 106 games, and, and you want to see that improve as well, especially as the league gets a second look at him as they want to make adjustments to him. So I think that's going to be one of the things to watch for, especially when you talk about, you know, Yankeel Fernandez or Jordan Beck, you know, guys who maybe have some contact issues. I think that's another area to really watch for the Rockies moving forward. Then, of course, pitching. Um, again, anytime you're rolling out Chase Anderson, Ty Blatch, and, and Chris Flexen, as often as they did as starters, um, it's just not going to go well for you, especially when Kyle Freeland and Austin Gomber take steps back. So there, there's a lot of things that need to happen here. There is talent here, but but I agree it's going to take some time. Jeff, any final thoughts as we wrap up? No, I think uh, take a look at the top 30, because I think if you're a Rockies fan, there will be some interesting players to learn about, and there were some success stories in the in the farm last year. So take some solace in that. All right. Well, Jeff, uh, we appreciate your insight as always. Thank you so much for joining us today. And yes, you are rocking the uh, the Colorado sweatshirt. You're on the Dion bandwagon. The, the I am. The goes Full Dion bandwagon. The high sportsman of the year, which I roll. <laughs> <laughs> all right everyone that'll do it for another baseball america podcast go ahead and give us a review on itunes spotify stitcher whatever platform you're listening on we'd love to hear from you for jeff ponce i'm kyle glazer thanks for listening have a good one after the end of a good fight Deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.